Hello and welcome to... Oh, hold on. It's been a while. What? How did I used to do this? <laughs> oh, yeah. Is this the yeah, actual yeah, intro? Yeah. I don't even know anymore. No, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, welcome to Panel Up, your monthly pop culture panel. I'm John I Campbell. I am Mike Gurgoni. Oh, man. That was shaking the rust off, man, doing that. It's been a while since we've done this kind of show. Slowly, creakily, stretching back into our pop culture bones. Yeah. Oh, shake that, uh, the weight of those old Star Wars comics off. Oh, Roy Thomas, get off my back. <laughs> yes, uh, well, uh, yes, hi there, uh, everybody. We're, we're both... We're back, and also we're just doing what we normally do at the same time. This is kind of a show within a show. Welcome to our show within a show, which is the old show, which is kind of got replaced by the new show, but that doesn't mean the old show went anywhere, because the old show remains. And this is that show within that show, pretending to be the other show. Which might be the most uh, appropriate format for a pop culture thing ever these days, because that's how everything is, it feels It's all like. perform performative and surface level, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, once a month here on the May the Panel Be With You uh, feed and YouTube uh, playlist, uh, we're going to go back to a version of our old format of a, of a more broad strokes pop culture discussion show. A little bit more freewheeling, a little bit uh, more modern, if you will. <laughs> uh, because uh, on the main show, we're stuck in the 70s, and, and even still, we're going to move forward in the 90s, but then back to the 70s, so... We're in the I mean, look, the honest answer is is that there is still stuff coming out on a regular basis that we want to talk about and share those opinions yeah. with you, the valuable, faceless masses of the internet. I don't want people quivering going, what do these guys think of a new Marvel movie? It's true. And <laughs> quite frankly, we didn't have to try very hard to figure out a way to bend the format of our new show in such a way that we could loosen ourselves up to talk about the cavalcade of stuff that just keeps coming out <laughs> yeah well i think we did talk about like probably those people who are interested in us talking about old uh marvel star wars comics are probably not going to be upset about us talking about new marvel stuff or new star wars stuff or new dc or insert franchise or ip here sure Honestly, this is still going to be our little corner for talking about the pop culture scene at large, but it's mostly going to boil down to our love of these big franchise films, uh, mm. genre spectacles, and things with an absurd amount of action or violence. Oh, that's my jam, man. <laughs> and by the way, I, uh, I when I was going to get my coffee this morning, I thought I need to do something on brand, so I brought Ant-Man with there me. Go. I got my Ant-Man mug. I got Ant-Man. By the way, it's Ant-Man... And the Wasp on a Very mug. Very good. Now, I would be much go. more impressed, John, if that was one of the heat-activated mugs and the images shrank as the hot water. Oh, that would be cool. I do have a, I do have the Star Trek one that's an empty planet that then when you pour it in, the crew beams onto oh, it. Oh, that's rad. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, well, Gurgoni, this new format's going to be sort of a segmented show, unlike the old one, uh, at least uh, a little bit more consciously, although it's still going to be pretty loose and, and have some tangents. But uh, <laughs> what, us? one of... No, we're always on topic. Um, that's why we haven't killed the first 10 minutes of the show already. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, so the the first thing we're going to do is uh, look at some coming attractions. Trailers, John? Uh, really? We're, is that where we're at? We're just talking about trailers? Talking about trailers. Because if as many movies come out, even more trailers come out on a daily basis. That's Good true. Lord. 
I can't open up YouTube without being shown 18 new trailers for various things. Now, today it's all movies. That won't always be the case. Absolutely. Uh, by any, but we'll also talk about game trailers and TV trailers and uh, book trailers are even a thing now. Yeah. So, you know. Well, look, uh, comic book trailers have long been a, been a thing at Marvel for almost like a decade now. Uh, they really have, yeah. Th there is also some video game stuff I do want to talk about today because some... Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if you were up to date on the, the Rocksteady game, the Suicide Squad Kills the Justice League, but some stuff came out about that that I think is worth discussing. Oh, I, ha I haven't, like, stayed way up, but I've, I followed it loosely. I'm excited to play it, but... Uh, well, maybe not after this. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Don't ruin, don't ruin my total. <laughs> uh, no, uh, so uh, you're gonna let's talk about some trailers we watched. Uh, we'll sort of weave in and out here. These are mostly franchise things, uh, a couple of comic book stuff in here. But I want to start with an outlier here and talk about the trailer for a movie called Tetris. Okay. Now, don't fret, everyone. John, this is not a big budget blockbuster Tetris movie. And that's the thing. You texted me yesterday of the list of things we were going to be discussing. I was in the midst of a conversation with uh, one of our mutual friends, um, Cole, and I like we were. <laughs> I was going to say who shall not be named. Yes, not no, uh, Cole Fiala. He, he's a regular <laughs> on Matcom sometimes, and he's shown up on this show a couple of mm -hmm. times. But yeah, he's going to be on Action Show. Absolutely, but. We were mid-conversation, I just glanced out at my phone, saw that text from you, and saw Tetris at the top of the list, and I had to stop our conversation mid-thread <laughs> to go, Cole, stop, because I think the long piece might be the main character of a movie, and I need to confirm whether or not society has collapsed. <laughs> Someone has to stop these blocks from falling! Uh... <laughs> When I no, no, I no. didn't realize what this movie was, so you just said Tetris movie trailer, and I freaked I, I kinda, out. There's a part of me that kind of knew that when I texted you, <laughs> and I go, I go, oh, he probably knows what I'm talking about, but I'm going, or it would be funny if he thought this was a major like summer tentpole. Movie. I thought it was another battleship scenario. Here's the thing. That's the thing, though. That's kind of scary. Is that seems totally plausible. We used to joke about. Uh, the stupidest thing being like a Jenga movie. Yeah. Or like Hungry, that Hungry Hippos. Valid. Hey, man, Ridley Scott for years was developing a, a Monopoly movie. No joke, an actual movie based on the board game Monopoly. Which that was like in development for a good 10 years. It's insane. Because, like, what? Is Mr. Yeah. Moneybags the main character? Uh, you would have to be, man. Don't pass go. Bob. I was gonna say, but Bob Hoskins is dead, so the perfect Mr. Moneybags isn't out there anymore. <laughs> he was Mario, he could be Mr. Moneybags. That's what I'm saying. No, this movie actually, I'm very excited for this movie because this is a story I do remember. I, I want to say it was like a wired article or something I read about this. It is the story of the uh, the creation, but more specifically, sort of the marketing and release. Of Tetris back in the 80s. Yeah, and it's all wrapped up in this idea that the game Tetris, if you've ever played the original Tetris, it's pretty clear about the its cultural roots. It, it was made by a Russian guy. And I mm -hmm. uh, don't know if I would really... Most of our listeners probably are aware, but for those of you who aren't, in the 80s, there was this thing called the USSR. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we are smack dab in the, the throes of the Cold War at this point. Right. So it turns out getting 
art and uh, expression and, like, creative endeavors exported from Russia was a little tricky back then. Absolutely. Uh, and so this is, that's the thing that's kind of cool about this. And, and I remember when I heard the real story, it's kind of a spy story. It's sort of an espionage tale about a video game, and the movie is really seeming to play that up. Uh, but in this sort of like, but it's it's still about Tetris, but also people might get killed over it. Well, and it's this idea that a government might be so uh, omnipresent in the lives of their citizens in the way that communist Russia was to a greater and lesser extent, depending on what we're talking about, that they could mm -hmm. view any Western influence as a radicalization of their people. And so the idea of an American company trying to import a Russian game to a Japanese video game company, it makes for like an international house of cards that is like interesting to see them build on this into a dramatic story. Yeah. I love movies like this, like the weird, specific, high stakes for the people involved, but seemingly low stakes that the world at large perceives. I love stuff like this. And I'm so, uh, I'm also such a huge fan of Taron Egerton, who I think yeah. has, as a movie star, has consistently chosen interesting project after interesting project. I was actually, the this exact conversation played out with Cole after I watched the trailer was... Yeah. Me saying, oh, I'm glad Taron Egerton's here. Like, I'm so glad his career didn't end with I'm cool, generic action hero spy guy in the Kingsman series. Right. Because yeah, I could have no, very it, easily it, it, seen that it, happening. Totally. Because he, we've seen, I mean, I, I the, the fear is that he would have gone at least the early part of Colin Farrell's career, right? right? Yeah. Guys who are good, interesting actors who get shoehorned into being handsome, bland action guy. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's a really good actor and has, it seems like, really struck out to do, outside of the Kingsman stuff, non-franchise stuff, compelling, interesting character work. If anybody saw Blackbird on Apple TV, he was fucking amazing, and I highly recommend that show. Wow, that was an amazing work. His Elton John performance, obviously, incredible. Say, the thing that really like spoke to me about that is like, okay, I don't think he's really going anywhere, and he's going to be doing some interesting stuff, was Rocketman. Like say Jesus say say Christ. what you will He's about so that movie, good. but like he is the thing that holds it together at its center. He yeah, he really blew me away in that, and his commitment to to getting his voice there and doing it all on his own. I just think um, even something like Eddie the Eagle is uh you know a, a, an unusual leading man role. Mm. Um, I think the only misstep really for him was that Robin Hood movie, which was awful. <laughs> but but John, what if Call of Duty was Robin Hood? <laughs> Yeah, I know. It was one of those things where, man, watching that, and I'm sure, I don't know if you actually saw it. I did I did eventually watch it, but it was just one of those things where, because I could, I kind of had the microgun reaction where I just go like, warfare wasn't like this in the Middle Ages, you guys. It just didn't function like this. Yeah. And, it's, and it didn't do enough of like a fantasy thing where it's like, okay, whatever, I believe... Uh, mounted Gatlin gun crossbows are a thing because this is like a comic book world. It was both grounded and gritty and totally ridiculous. But that's the thing, right? Like, I, I'm at that weird point where I either want it to commit all the way to the fantasy, yeah. a la King Arthur Legend of the Sword, where it's just no, like complete I think, gonzo. I think you and I are like the lone defenders of that movie, but that movie 
is that's but it totally is just like this is what we're doing this is guy Ritchie's king arthur yeah and it's totally bonkers like, and batshit but it's so committed yeah. to its fever dream premise that you kind of are either on board or you're not oh. and that's the thing is and i love movies like that i love we i mean i'm a fan of hansel and gretel witch hunters <laughs> man so uh, a very underrated gem of a grindhouse movie, in my sure. opinion. Uh, but and that was the thing with that Robin Hood movie is yes, I did see it. And yeah. I don't think it committed to either way because then you have the mm -hmm. like the other direction where you have uh, oh what was that uh, Robin Hood movie with um, it wasn't Gerard Butler it was, uh, no, it was Russell Crowe Russell Crow. yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah, the Ridley Scott one. And that was where it's like, oh, we're stripping all the legend and folklore out of this. And this is, and you go, kind of boring. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but look, I I am and always will be a Prince of Thieves guy. Sure. So, uh, you know, this Costner is my Robin Hood. And I'm a Men in Tights a... guy. Hey, nothing wrong with that either. I do think uh, there's an argument that always might be the best Robin Hood. <laughs> Legitimately. Now, the movie is obviously not purposely not taken seriously but i think that casting is perfect mm -hmm. and it has sir patrick stewart in it so i can't fault it at all but yeah the, <laughs> uh, the tetris movie um i think it looks tetris really interesting um i really interesting. I'll be, and it looks like it, oh go ahead i'll be very curious to know that if the uh the 8-bit like video gamey uh pastiche yeah. that, the, that is in the trailer if that's just part of the trailer or is that part of the movie's aesthetic as well i don't know either yeah that that was very interesting and cool, and I've seen movies pull that off, those kind of changes. I think Adam McKay's movies, like The Big Short and stuff, do that very Scott well, and Pilgrim. I'm wondering if this could happen. Scott Pilgrim absolutely can do that in a way that, that can that can enhance the story and not just be sort of uh, there for the hell of it. Right. Um, so I'm very interested in this. Uh, I, I, I'm and, and also, I think this is a perfect example. Of, this is an Apple movie. I think this is a perfect example of what, like, a good streaming level movie is because this is just this is a movie that would just get gobbled up in theaters i don't sure. think but this is a movie i think a lot of people are gonna see uh in this uh and it, it's it's the thing that that i'm always um uh, very heartened by in the streaming world is they've really opened up a new market for like mid-budget dramas and thrillers and romances and stuff. that is where the rom-com the lives these days yeah absolutely and the rom-com is kind of booming weirdly like it's sort of a thing i'm seeing i mean i'm not seeing them but i'm seeing a lot of them come on but the thing about the streaming as we've talked about is if you're into rom-com there's a lot for you mm -hmm. that's the thing that's great right for me it's the mid-budget thriller that i'm sure so happy to see well that. yeah and uh, honestly like apple really hasn't done me dirty yet in terms of uh, everything i've watched they, on them have been really good control. yeah people have talked about they they are really quality over quantity over there. People always talk about they don't have as much. It's like, that's maybe kind of good because they really are making good stuff. Um, we'll talk about in our next thing, we'll talk about some of the stuff we're enjoying out there right now. And there's definitely several things on Apple I'm digging. Uh, let's completely change gears and get gigantic here by going over to the MCU and talking about Guardians Volume 3. John, now, you this said is the change gears trailer. and you didn't shift us into Fast and the Furious. I know. How could you? There's a perfect pun right there. I know, I know. We'll get Guardians there. Three. Okay, I'm, I'm, okay. Guardians Volume Three, dude. 
I'm gonna cry in this yeah, movie. Yeah, I know. Same. The trailer's getting me misty. There's there's the scene we've seen in both trailers now with Star Lord standing over some kind of operating table, screaming with tears in his eyes, and I'm just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking. I, I went and saw uh, uh, Ant Man, uh, which we'll talk about at the end of the show, uh, with my sister, and we came out of that and that trailer, and she just goes. Movies used to be fun. <laughs> I'm sure this movie will be a lot of fun, but I'm sure it will be a lot of fun. But it is very, I mean, because there's a lot of discussion about when that script was getting passed around the Marvel offices, people were crying reading the screenplay by Gunn. Oof. So it is, uh, I mean, this is his swan song for the characters, for his time at Marvel. This is the conclusion to the trilogy that, that he started with Guardians. And that's pretty cool. They're, they haven't had a huge. You know, we haven't really seen anybody do that at Marvel completely. No. At least not filmmaker-wise. We've seen the Russo brothers sort of back say. into life. But that but they came, you know, they didn't make that first Captain America movie. Yeah. The closest I could probably say would be the Captain America arc with the Russo brothers. Um cuz yeah. even the Iron Man 3 does feel like the Iron Man arc complete. ends, but then Iron Man's arc doesn't end for another 10 years after that. <laughs> well, and Favreau didn't make Iron Man 3, right? right? It's yeah. sort of a thing where it's like... And also, I, it's something we've talked about before, is those Guardians movie characters are so different than their comic counterparts. They're definitely echoes of them. But it also feels like, in terms of having the most creative input on the movies, those really do feel like James Gunn movies almost from the ground up. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you look at any of those characters pre the first movie, they are so radically different. And like you say there, they yeah. feel like echoes. There are bits and pieces that are uh, very people similar. Bring up the Abnet, people bring up the Abnet and Lanning run, right? That was sort of, but I'm like, yeah, I get structurally and team makeup Visually, wise, but that yeah. Star-Lord is not this Star-Lord. That rocket is not this rack rocket. He, he took that as a springboard to really write the most original Marvel movies. And that's why I think we all have such a special place in our hearts for the Guardians. They do feel of a piece in the universe, but as their own thing, too. The closest character to their comic book counterpart is Groot. And that's, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's because there's a surface level there that you can only get so deep into and still have the character only ever saying, I am But the Groot. thing is, Gunn found a way to get a shade deeper than the comics even do. Yeah. And with that character. But yeah, well, between like radically redefining the character of Nebula to be a character that anybody cares about. Um, oh my God. <laughs> Nebula is so fucking important to me. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, you know, and I, I, I certainly have always known the character. Anyone who read the, all the Starlin infinity stuff, you know, she's a big part of that, but uh, I have immense affection for her, and the best gag is is with her at the end of this trailer. Yeah, yeah. The whole, like, possible beat of Star-Lord finally, like, having some attraction to her. Can we talk about how much of a treasure Karen Gillan is as someone who just yeah. vanishes into this role? Well, you talk about somebody who, you, you know, you talk about worrying about people just sort of being left aside. We are so used to loving actors on sci-fi shows as they like claw their way to get even small parts in Hollywood stuff. The idea that like for once somebody we fell in love with on Doctor Who actually got recognized by Hollywood and she's become like a major actor with multiple franchises and 
somebody who in between those does really interesting indie films. Yeah. Um, boy, what a talented lady. And, and But that's the thing is talent doesn't always lead to stardom. But the fact that she has done that and, and the gift of Nebula that James Gunn gave her, but also then for her to be so good in that that James Gunn starts putting her in more and more stuff and making Nebula a bigger part of the universe and the Russo brothers picking that up. That is just her pure talent. Yeah. I mean, I leading I said this coming out of Endgame. It's like, I think that might be like mostly a Nebula movie and I'm kind of super into it. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll talk about this Ant-Man movie too, maybe being almost mostly a Janet Van Dyne movie in a weird way. Yeah. Um, Janet Van Dyne in stature, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's unexpected. Uh, you, you, you go in for Ant-Man and the Wasp and you get something you might not fully expect. But still technically yeah, the this Wasp, looks, so... Still technically a wasp, yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, Disney, call me. I do have a pitch for a Disney Plus series called The Wasps. Ah, there we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but because uh, uh, I haven't seen uh, Nadia Pym in that universe, and yet, we so. <sighs> we'll get into it. But like, there was a there was a, a name drop there about a Hank having other relationships, and mm-hmm. there was just like, oh, oh the yeah. door is open oh. now. Okay. We can get there, and we've done a lot of the Red Room stuff, and she connects to that, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. there, and I do love that character, so. Um, I'm just saying, Thunderbolts stuff, is just yeah. around the corner. We could be seeing more of that stuff. Ooh, man. Uh, lots of lots of casting news on that. They're getting ready to shoot. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, by the way, they're also going to sell the shit out of Baby Rocket merch, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. I've already seen some of the pre-orders for the toys going up. Oh, I'm sure. If, if there aren't plushies I mean, all... available the day that movie opens, I'll be shocked. And uh, I, I'm blanking on the the female character's name that is Rocket's love interest oh, from the, the com- otter. Like, um... Yeah, the otter. Yeah, she because she does come from the comics. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a really good run from about oh five or six years ago. That's like sort of a almost Casablanca-esque noir romance with them that's really good. I highly recommend that Rocket series. Um, she's she's great. Um, Lila. And yes, yes. She's really good. So she's a cool character. Also, get ready for Disneyland to be overrun by Cosmo plushies. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... But that's the thing about these. The Marvel movies are very good about... They have toyetic things, but it doesn't feel like they're being toyetic like that Batman and Robin movie that's still the ultimate example of like we're just jamming stuff in here aren't you mm-hmm. uh, for the most part I will say uh, we'll, we'll get into yeah. Quantumania but there's a a bunch of action figurable characters in this movie <laughs> I may have some of the action figures pre-ordered also. <laughs> uh, but yes no there, there there's definitely that uh, but this looks great I mean it, it I don't almost don't have much to say about it I can't wait for it uh, great song choice as always in the trailer. Uh, the the by the way, it, it's the since you've been gone that I know and love. I know people love that uh, Kelly Clarkson song, but this is the song by the band Rainbow, mm-hmm. um, and it's great. And the way it's used in this is so well done. Um, I know a lot of fan theories about Star Lord dying. I, I I don't think that's going to happen simply because this trailer really wants me to think Star Lord's going to die. I think this trailer wants us to think Rocket's going to die, and I think both trailers have had us thinking that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know though. It's what yeah. well, everybody was so. I mean, uh, we'll get to the spoiler section, but so many people were so certain Scott Lang was going to die in this Ant Man movie. So that's what is with the bloodlust of fans, by the way, where they're like, Ugh. 
Our favorite hero, they, they gotta die, man. I don't know. People got people got this idea after Endgame that folks can get removed from the board and never come back. I'm like, yeah, after they've had 10-year movie contracts, Rudd's still fresh yeah. on this shit. Yeah, 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 man. We've we've got another, uh, definitely two Avengers movies, and probably at least one other Ant Man movie in it, at the very least. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I think it's uh, no, it's an interesting. It, 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 I just think it's so fascinating, and also I, 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 I like Christopher Marcus and Steve McFeely, two of the best Marvel screenwriters, uh, talk about a quote I use from them all the time, which is, uh, "There are other ways to raise the stakes than having people die." Yeah, but that's the easiest yeah. one for people to talk about. Sure, sure, and I, I I totally get it, but it definitely the tagline of it's time to face the music. There is definitely, regardless of if anyone dies, there feels like there's a finality to this. And can we just for a moment, you talk about uh, being comics fans and stuff? Oh my God, Adam Warlock! Oh, Adam Warlock, man! I am. This movie looks so jam packed with other stuff. I'm so curious to know how slash why they're working Adam Warlock into this. Because he's such a specific character tied to the Infinity Stone stuff, I'm so curious to know what is Adam Warlock divorced of that. I saw a guy, I mean, is anyone not screaming on YouTube? Somebody screaming. But I saw a guy screaming on YouTube about like, oh, huge mistake, Feige. If Thanos is already dead, why would you now introduce Adam Warlock? And I'm just going, well, I, I understand, but it is like, he he is an interesting character too. I mean, like, yeah, I guess I, I, I get what they're saying, but not to be on the side of the screaming neckbeards. <laughs> I'm making some assumptions, uh, here, but yeah, the this guy was medium. Toxic. Sure, <laughs> the only way I've seen Adam Warlock written in the comics for the most part, maybe I'm just not exposed to the deeper Adam Warlock canon, but the best Adam Warlock stories that I've read are intrinsically tied to Thanos, Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity Stone stuff. So seeing him Mm -hmm. divorced of that, I'm curious to see who is the character that emerges from that. And the fact that James Gunn has this track record of echoing these characters, but then also making them into his own things. I mean, I'm sure he's going to be really cool. He's a gold pretty boy who flies around and does space magic. So. Uh, I really like Will Poulter, the actor who plays him. He's a very talented dude, yep. and he looks awesome. Yep. That one shot that's just him flying at like supersonic speed, and the camera's locked onto his face. They gave him a cape. That's all I care about. They gave him a cape? Oh, believe me. You don't think I have that Adam Warlock action figure on pre-order. <laughs> oh, John, man. I can see the case need- behind you. You're running out of room. What, are you going to put it between Kirk and Spock back there? <laughs> oh, believe me, this is a whole inset of my wall. I already have plans where I can get two more cases. And yeah, yeah, I know. I uh, I have a problem. <laughs> I've mainly focused. But my, my collecting, I'm trying to focus mainly on Star Trek and Marvel, primarily. Okay, okay. I see st- no. looking down at the third shelf from the top with the James Bond figures. Well, those, those are some James Bonds, and there might be a Bruce Campbell yeah, in there. And, yeah, sure. There's, there's a couple Primarily. of there might be, I might be working on a Batman shelf as well, but that, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, this looks really good. Can't wait. That's going to be a big one for the summer in May. Speaking of Batman. Uh, oh, 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 oh. Man. Uh, yeah, let's get to the Flash. Or the Flash, as we like to call him around the here. The Flash. Why did that start? The Why flash. did we start to calling him that? 
Oh, we did that because we watched that years ago. We watched that stupid TV special with the DC characters. Remember that? Oh, Challenge of that the Super Friends. Challenge of the yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, that 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 of course it gave us uh, both the Flash and Wizard on a jet ski, which are still <laughs> the two of the greatest things ever discussed on this podcast. I believe it, there was some kind of like superhero roast in the second part of that special, in Correct. in which some character called him the Flash. Oh no no uh, no! Actually, it was the opening narration when they were introducing all the oh. characters. Because the funniest thing was the guys going. Dark Knight of Gotham, Batman, and he's going through, and then he goes, the fastest man alive, the Flash. For one word, his like very New York accent came out, and we were just obsessed with it. Is what it was. Right, right, right. Because it, it was the it was the the Flash. Um. So yes, the Flash. This movie is finally coming out. I think we'll see. Depending on Ezra Miller's legal standing. I mean, it's coming out, right? Like they, it is coming out. They they have very much committed to this. Uh, they are really hyping it. Multiple people have called it one of the best superhero movies ever made. Uh, now these people all work for Warner yeah. Brothers. So. <laughs> um, Hyperbole aside, yeah, there are bits the of it. Rumblings yeah. are test screenings have gone very well. Uh, and uh, oh, did you freeze? Did I freeze? Or you just uh. All right, well, we froze up there for a second, but we're back in now. Uh, so, yes, uh, as I was saying, let's talk about The Flash because, man, whatever conflicting feelings, it's very easy to be, you know, like, oh, Ezra Miller doing a Flash movie. You know, not only does Ezra Miller have their troubles, but <laughs> that's why I feel about that. I was allergic to Ezra Miller's legal problems. Um, <laughs> but uh, but has their problems... But it's sort of going like, what is this? Mm-hmm. We're at the forefront. I, I feel like the, the uh, I don't know if you saw the tracking numbers came out for Shazam and they're abysmal because I think everybody's kind of like, yeah, does this even fucking matter? Should well, we even bother to between that and like Zachary Levi stuff, I don't know how much that's affecting tracking well, I, numbers. But I, I don't know either, but I just think there's a general attitude of like, whatever's coming out is probably going to get wiped clean. So that's kind of my attitude a little bit, but... Then I saw this trailer. Because that's the thing, right? <laughs> is we always knew this was going to be a Flashpoint movie in some mm-hmm. regard. That it was going... It was always to... kind of going to do some sort of table setting, right? Yeah. Some sort of... They were never clear about it, but it seems like now it's very clear. Like James Gunn has said, this is the break point. Right. And for those who don't know, Flashpoint was a comic book crossover in which the Flash went back in time, fucked up everything. Everything got reset after a big multiversal conflict. And that's what brought us into the New 52 era of DC Comics. Right. Uh, So it seems like they're really doing that structurally. Yeah. Right. Like, uh... And, um, but I'm sorry, they sold, they sold me a ticket when they put Michael Keaton in a fucking bat suit, man. Now. Who cares? I have a question for you, John. It's something I didn't consider until very recently, but it's something that Mm -hmm. nothing in the trailer refutes, so we'll see. Flashpoint involves the Flash interacting with a version of Batman that is not, in fact, Bruce Wayne. Correct. Thomas Wayne, yes. Could Michael Keaton be playing Thomas Wayne? From what I've heard, he is playing Tim Burton's 
Bruce Wayne. And that's totally fair, and that's perfectly fine, and that is yeah. that is what it looks like on the screen at surface value. And you're, but, you're pitching this their world where he is Thomas Wayne. Well, it, maybe. Now, the thing about it the, that they've done here that isn't the case in the Flashpoint, but but I think could work for a movie, is Barry now enters a world where there are no metahumans, right? The, the Flashpoint universe, quote-unquote, of this movie is one where people don't have superpowers. Right. Hence why Batman is basically... As far as we can tell from the trailer, the only sort of costumed crime fighter. Right. What if after Batman returns, Zod shows up? Like, how does Tim Burton's right. Batman even approach well, dealing that, with something like that? That would make sense, because powers never really came into the world of Tim Burton, right? Right. <clears throat> the closest you they ever get is whatever the heck is happening to Catwoman when she is revived by the cats in the dumpster. Yeah, you get in some vague mystical stuff. There's also a bunch of weird shit with Penguin. That guy's definitely not human as far as anything we would understand in our universe. But, but it's all Jim Burton horror-y yeah. kind of stuff. Not, you know. <clears throat> now I do the thing I the thing that actually really intrigues me is they're using Supergirl the way Superman is used in Flashpoint, right? Where at least it seems like it, right? Where mm -hmm. In the Flashpoint universe of the comic, uh, Kal-El has landed on Earth, been taken in by the government, he's being studied and sort of kept hidden in an underground bunker. Seems like they're doing that now with Kara, which I think, that's an interesting idea, and all this footage of Kara looks badass in this movie. Yeah, something I picked up when I just rewatched the trailer before we started recording was the fact that her, like, prison outfit when she's doing the breakout bit says Cadmus on it. I was like, okay, you got me. Um... Yeah, Project Cadmus is involved somehow, so we're going to have weird underground metahuman research, and for all I know, this, there's going to be a, a certain lady out of Belle Reve who is running the whole thing. This trailer looks really good. My biggest quibble really is, and I, I sincerely hope Ezra Miller gets the, the treatment they need, and, you know, because they are a talented actor, but I would be jazz beyond belief about this movie had none of that come out if it wasn't for the fact that the lead actor of this film has been charged with assault and home invasion yeah. and some possible things of kidnapping and some other weird creepy maybe yeah maybe leading a cult yeah. like there's a lot of weird shit out about it. ezra miller is a troubled person there's no question about that and here's the fucked up part though is yeah. We live in a society now where when I weigh, like, the moral balances in my scale, uh, the scales in my head, mm -hmm. that actually is all stuff that can be helped and isn't potentially damaging on a societal level as opposed to an yeah. actor who is, like, actively bombasting about, like anti-vaccines or trying to discriminate against trans oh. people and, like... <laughs> I, I no, will take a, Ezra Miller in a film over supporting J.K. Rowling and when I do like the mental math in my head, which weird. is so weird, weird to even consider. Well, because it does feel like whatever bad has been done by Ezra Miller, and people have definitely been hurt. Yeah. It does feel like we have an understanding of psychological issues. So you go like, well, this could be manic behavior that could be rectified. Yeah. Now, that, that's up for a larger debate about whether or not any, like, consequences like jail time should come into it. I'm neither here nor there. Sure. But it does feel like the, these don't sound like the actions of somebody functioning with their full mental faculties, right? Yeah. 
it doesn't seem like oh this person is just a huge piece of shit necessarily necessarily right. maybe but right. it does sound like uh and i don't know you know there are people who, who go oh it's very convenient they're seeking help right around the time that this movie's coming out I try not to be a cynical person, so I go, I, re- I truly wish them the best, because I do think Ezra Miller is actually a super talented actor. And I have liked him as Barry Allen and the other stuff I, 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 I've seen them in, right? Like, I think, and, and actually, it's very charming in this trailer. Yeah, and that was the thing with this trailer, right, is that they seem to be doubling down quite literally on Ezra Miller in a way where you either got to get on board with this film and divorce yourself of some of the problematic issues surrounding the actor. I have to be be going to see the character of Barry Allen, right? Yeah. Um, But it is interesting that just a couple months ago, there were rumors that they were going to try to title this movie Batman Flashpoint. So... I definitely think, I think there was an, no matter what, whether it's sincere or not, there was definitely an agreement reach of like, you need to go somewhere and get help or we can't promote this movie around you. And like I said, you can choose to look at that cynically or the positive spin is maybe that's the wake up call they needed to actually start looking at their life is like, hey, this could really cost you a career. And maybe I don't know. that's the case. Yeah, we just don't know. And I'm sure in 20 years, there'll be a tell-all book describing all of the events surrounding this. Yeah, in 20 years, uh, the, the about the movie, yeah. Uh, next year, there'll be an Ezra Miller book, I'm sure. <laughs> my yeah. struggles or my, you know, my sure. nightmare year or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Anyway, though, the trailer does look pretty awesome. And I have to say you're gonna you know me and i my obsession with the michael keaton batman and to see him not only back in the suit but now freed of 1980s filmmaking technology and able to do the batman shit he was always doing in my head oh that's honestly the weirdest part of this trailer for me is seeing tim burton's batman suit moving in a way that like i know logically it was never capable of doing well, and the redesign of the suit is very cool because it's still totally the classic suit, but you can see that, like, oh, we can move better. We can redesign it better. We can yeah. build a better suit for him. But it's still totally the Burton costume. He still can't and, turn his head. <laughs> and he never should be able to, man. Um, but, like, I know the Batmob- the, the, the Anton first designed Batmobiles, and you see it under a sheet in this. Mm-hmm. The fucking Bat one. I mean, I'm sorry, but uh, talk- speaking of another friend of the show, Brendan Jones, he and I were talking about this trailer going, like, Dude, you can be as cynical as you want, but the second I see Supergirl flying next to the Batwing, it's like, oh, I need this in my life. I just, I'm a little kid again. And literally, I really am a little kid again, because that's my childhood Batman on screen. When was the last time outside of a cartoon we saw Batman flying a jet? Uh, Batman be Superman, I think, right? Doesn't he fly a jet in that? I don't know. But, like, I... There's the 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 no, flying no, it, 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 there's the flying vehicle yeah, oh, yeah. in uh, Dark Knight Rises, which isn't. I think the one in Batman v Superman is similar, where they're like they don't they, they haven't committed to the Batwing, yeah, since Batman Forever. I don't think live action, right? Not and, not not the true crazy design bat shaped right vehicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that I still am in love with that design from the the original Burton movie. And if I had the money and also the space, because it's huge, I would have that Lego oh, Batwing. 
You'd best know day. I'm on the same page. Yeah, a hundred percent. My God, I don't have either. The people are always surprised. I don't have either of the '89 vehicles. I'm like, well, number one, they're like four hundred dollars, and two, they're gigantic. I have seen people who have them, and they take up a huge amount of space. I mean, you're talking to the guy who's got the Lego Death Star right above his head. So, oh, I've got, I've got shit. I mean, I, if I just tilt my camera up a little bit, yeah, the, the Bat Cave is behind me. Right. So, believe me, I know about this, uh, and I do have. Uh, Maybe this is a good. So anyway, I think we're 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 in agreement on the Flash looks good, sort of inspired. Cautiously itself. optimistic, yeah. Like a lot of this DC stuff, I have a feeling. Is it going to be inconsequential to the grander scheme moving forward? Probably. Do I necessarily well, I think... throw away an entire movie just because I don't think it's going to connect to some larger mainstream universe? Especially where DC is concerned? That's never been my thought process. <laughs> my to survive as a DC fan seeing these movies, I just assume they don't and, yeah. and go and enjoy them. <laughs> um, and, and the answer is it will be as consequential... As it makes money, right? Like, sure. if it makes a lot of money, it'll be consequential. If it doesn't make a lot of money, none of it will have happened. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, the big question but, I have is whether or not this Supergirl is going to be the same Supergirl in the Supergirl movie that they just announced. Oh, man. I don't know. She does look pretty cool. Uh, right. So I, I, I would... I Once again, I really... I think if this movie hits big, I think definitely she will be. I if hope not, so. they'll be yet. Um, but I'm so excited about that movie because it's based on an amazing Tom King comic. I love Super Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow. So good. Go out and read it. Uh Bilkwis Evely art is also gorgeous in it. Mm -hmm. Um but on the point, here here's me trying to remember how to do transitions. Speaking of Lego vehicles I do own, I do have Dominic Toretto's Dodge Charger. <laughs> course, with full working pistons. Yeah. Uh and uh, and you can pose it as I do uh just up on its back two wheels. <laughs> Yeah, Fast Head is coming. Fast X, baby! The end of the road begins! So, they say the end of the road begins at the end of this yeah. trailer. Yeah. Is this... Is it a last, like, trilogy that they have planned, or is there just one more after this? Uh, they've talked about it being a two-part finale. The, okay. the, Vin Diesel talked about it sort of being an Infinity War Endgame scenario. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Man... Sure. Yeah, you laugh. I but know. Really, I know. The, you look at the hierarchy of box office franchises. It's, it's Marvel, and then it's Fast and Furious. I These know, movies I know. are gigantic. Um, it's because and, fast cars going fast translates to any place on Earth. It is, man. Action like this is. I mean, it. It. I, I do feel like one of the things I love about the Fast and the Furious movies is a lot of the same reason I love the Roger Moore era of James Bond. It is just bombast. But the thing I actually like more about it than the Roger Moore era is it's so earnest. If this if it was more purposely goofy yeah. and like the characters acknowledged it, I don't I wouldn't like it cuz I would feel it's cynical, but it's so insanely sincere. And the cynical part of my brain starts wondering how many layers deep into this production do you need to get before you get to the cynicism about how sincere it is, right? Like, do people on the set giggle every time somebody on the script says family? I don't, you know, I, I, I think it's probably an ebb and flow, right? Because I, one of the things that, I mean, that gets me is... It's so sincere that at a certain point I'm going like, okay, yeah, well, if everybody's taking this seriously, 
then I guess I will too. It is the it is the kind of laughter I love where people are laughing at like that's crazy. You know, I mean like it's that where it's not it's not ha this is dumb. It's not the MST3K sort of laughter. Mm -hmm. It's the laughter of like you're laughing with the movie, not at it. I mean, all through this trailer, I'm laughing at the audacity of oh. this, A, this franchise is still going, and B, some of the crazy shit that they're playing earnestly, like Jason Momoa as the bad guy, being oh. a guy who was left for dead in Fast Five? Fast Five, yeah. Oh, <laughs> my God. Being a huge nerd for this franchise, when they cut to, he was at that vault heist? <laughs> what? The con I mean, because that's the other thing, and I think a big reason why people like it is the Fast and the Furious movies have the same kind of continuity as Marvel, right? Where it's like, sure. you remember the thing with the guy who's doing—that's him. I mean, it is oh. the thing about the last movie had the death of Dom's father shown on screen, which is spoken about in the first movie. You know, when we see in this trailer a brief clip of Han and. Shaw in the same scene together. I'm like, oh, the reckoning is here. And the fact that oh, I even man. have that thought speaks to how deep in the weeds I am on this franchise. No, you 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 are a real convert to the house of uh, Toretto yeah. family. Um, but they are because well, they they are what I want out of a blockbuster movie, though, right? Where they're like, we're we're gonna offer huge but and the action is great. I mean, they really do come up with amazing sequences. When they drop Dom's charger out of a plane and it crushes two other cars in this trailer. I'm I'm worried they've just shown us this highway sequence where he like drags the two helicopters into each other. Like <laughs> yeah. one of the coolest bits in the film. Because like after rewatching Hobbs and Shaw again, I realized like, oh, they kind of showed off the coolest thing in the movie in the trailer with like the chain of cars grabbing onto the helicopter. They did, they did it. Yeah, it is uh Which is sort of no, disappointing. The Fast Furious movies have never been afraid to show off their big set, although they did hide space in the last one. They did hide space, though that was more the audacity of yes, we're gonna shoot a car into space, and less like the actual scene itself being a thrilling piece of action. Sort of like uh, it's like yeah, we're doing it. <laughs> they, they're they're long been a discussion about like, are you guys gonna go to space? And they're like, maybe. <laughs> and yeah, uh, I still think we've talked. You and I have talked about extensively that time feels like the next frontier for them sure time travel uh i would say time travel or i'd always say moon car chase yeah it does sort of feel like we just got out of the atmosphere we need to get out into space mm -hmm. right yeah. although i do so this is the end of the road for the fast saga but vin diesel has been clear this is not the end of fast movies oh uh, but yeah. stretch the imagination because uh, i mean th in five there are years we're gonna have a movie that's just called toretto Oh, he's been, yeah, he's, he's like, well, th this, uh, <laughs> which is hilarious because he's the main character of the Fast Saga, but he's going, so the Fast Saga ends and then the Dominic Toretto movies start. And you're like, these aren't already the Dominic Toretto movies? Every movie is about how you're the greatest guy ever and you can never die. John, I can hear the narration on the trailer for that movie when some big bad evil guy says, what happens when you don't have a family anymore, Dom? Well, I do love, yeah, because they, they love stuff like that. There's the thing in this, uh, uh, the only, when when uh, Jason Moe was like, the only thing about having such a big family is how do you decide who to save? His son, obviously his son. His son, it's all about, because it's, at the end of the day, it's all about 
family. Uh, and it's great, man. I love it. I, I all the stuff is great. As I've been telling to people, I can't wait to see a movie where the Fast family teams up with Captain Marvel to fight Aquaman because. Uh, somebody who is a huge fan of this franchise is Brie Larson, who was like, please, please get me in there. See, and it's one of those things, because yeah. people, film snobs love to roll their eyes at these movies, but I love when an Academy Award winner like Brie Larson is going, no, I love these movies and I want to be in them. And even more so, when fucking cinema legend Rita Moreno is like, <laughs> I desperately want to be in this. And here she is at the beginning of this trailer going, the thing about family is... As Dom's mom, I want to say? His abuela, his grandmother. Oh, okay, okay. Because Vin Diesel doesn't want you to know how old he really yeah, is. in his 50s. She could totally be his mom, but he's like, oh, no. No one would ever believe that. Yeah, I'm weak. Uh -huh. Wink. Good thing. Here's the thing. Here's a crazy thing. The Fast and the Furious franchise has been around longer than the MCU. I There's mean, a stick your jump. They okay. make less movies, obviously, but also it depends on where you qualify the Fast franchise as beginning, right? Because yeah, let's be you, you, perfectly honest, the first three and even the third one, only retroactively, are not a franchise. Yeah. They, they are a series of movies that share a title in a lot of those ways that, like, certain action movies will have sequentially titled movies that may or may not actually have anything to do well, with each other. Well, we're going to be doing a, uh, a Fast and the Furious show on the YouTube channel, uh, which we've, we've talked about. And, and we are going to be skipping two and three. I'm sorry. I ripped that Band-Aid off here now. I know. I know. They're the, particularly Tokyo. I don't think anybody, aside from the connections of uh, Roman and Tej... Anybody really is like out there for Too Fast, Too Furious. It's, it's pretty bad. Oh, and like there's such radically different slash non-existent characters in that no, movie. No, I, I, I've always said skip that because the Roman and Tej you meet in that while played by those actors and looking like those characters, uh, meeting them in Fast Five you, is when you actually like yeah. find them. And, and it doesn't matter because they're just Brian's old friends. What do you need to know? Like yeah. one's a mechanic and one is a handsome guy who punches people like it's pretty simple wasn't he introduced but, in two as a hacker <laughs> a tej no tej is introduced a mechanic and then becomes a hacker right, right, right he's right. now a hacker because he i love that they have they have two tech people because they have him and ramsey now um, oh yeah ramsey got added on yeah i love ramsey uh and and i love the the beat in the last movie that she doesn't know how to drive <laughs> very fun there's someone in the family who uh, doesn't know how to drive what are we even doing here I thought that was fun. Did you see this comment? I'm trying to find the exact quote uh, where Tyrese Gibson called Vin Diesel Jesus. I mean, every movie has called him that for the last like four films in the franchise, so that doesn't surprise me. No, no, no. The real person Tyrese Gibson was referring to the real person, Vin Diesel, as being able to do things only Jesus could. No, John, I don't need to hear this these words said by a human being those don't need to have existed you can stop looking he is, well because he's always been firmly in, in in on team diesel like he he trolls the rock on stuff and goes like yeah you are a pussy man you're not as cool as vin that's he's unnecessary Vin's boy, man. that's that's just seems mean <laughs> i don't understand we don't need I to like do that you can like both of those guys. I, that's the, I like both of them. I see both of their movies. Yeah, I've got no, I've got no dog in that fight. In fact, I, I just want peace because I want The Rock to be back in these movies. But it seems like that's just not going to happen. I do like the conspiracy theory that all of that was 
simply a constructed narrative so that when The Rock does show back up in Fast 11, everyone's like, oh, they got him back in the same room. I I really hope that's the case. I truly do. That'd be weird. Uh, so, uh, all right, let's 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 wrap things up here with this final trailer for another franchise that isn't at all insane, John Wick Chapter 4, which I think is actually going to be next month's uh, panel up review. Can't wait, so, yeah. Uh, can't wait. By the way, have you seen the runtime on this? Mm -mm. Two hours, 49 minutes. It's a nearly three-hour John Wick outing. Okay, so here's the thing. I, I will watch this entire movie, and I will enjoy every minute of it, but... Hell yeah. Isn't the draw of John Wick the simplicity of the in-and-out action movie? Does that indicate that John Wick has like turned a corner on being maybe too into itself? That actually does worry me a little bit. Like, hmm. I, what 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 I saw it as is super long fight scenes. Is yeah, what I like. Yeah, but it's like there could be like a twenty-minute throwdown between him and Donnie Yen. Oh, and don't get me wrong, I want that. Donnie Yen looks so fucking slick in this God trailer. Damn. Two of my favorite martial artists have joined the cast in this because I don't know what Scott Adkins is doing in this. <laughs> Holy God. As whatever this, he's in crazy prosthetics and doing like a Russian accent with gold teeth going to Baba Yaga. That was Scott Adkins? That's Scott Adkins. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. He, they, he put out the character poster for that on, and, and he, on his Instagram, especially just like, I thank them so much for letting me create this character and play this and take this risk of letting me do this. The Baba Yaga. Wow. Okay. Thank God bless Scott Adkins. He's just one of those guys who found his like groove and that's what he wanted to do was be in shitty action movies and he that, just is doing it. He's living the dream. He a number one icon over on the action shelf. And uh, I don't know if we've actually said this, but I'll say it here. If I, if you are an action show listener, uh, that's why we're devoting the month of April this year to Adkins April, a whole good. month of Adkins adventures. Yeah. Um, cool. Because cool we good. love that man over on the show. Because, yes, he is. You talk about the sincerity. We were just talking about the Fast and Furious. That is him for straight-to-video action. He is like, no, I... I you know, whatever parts I get, he's in Doctor Strange, he's in stuff. That's great. What I really want to do is be the new Jean-Claude Van Damme. That yeah. was my hero as a kid, and I get to do that. He's made, like, four movies with Van Damme. He's mm -hmm. like, I'm doing it, man. Don't, like, pity me or go, like, why can't you be in bigger stuff? I'm exactly where I want to be. And he writes and directs those movies now. Um, but it's I'm so happy he's in this. And, yes, oh, Donnie Yen is going to rule in this movie. Yeah. I mean, look, this movie's going to rock. They've all rocked. All of the, the whole John Wick the franchise rules. The action in these movies is so good that you see so many other action franchises failing because they're trying too hard to be John Wick. Yeah. That Robin Hood movie, the pitch for that movie was John Wick with Robin Hood. That's what they sold that to the studio. Yeah. The Terranix movie we were just talking about. And, and we've seen that. plenty of movies that have uh, tried and failed or tried and gotten close. Uh, what was that mm -hmm. Charlize Theron uh, spy thriller movie? Atomic Blonde. Atomic Blonde. We actually had the, one of the directors of the first John Wick director, David Yeah. Leach. And, like, that got probably as close as I've seen in a lot of these other movies. I think they're really good. Have you seen Bullet Train yet? No, I still keep meaning to. Bullet Train, uh, also a David Leach film, mm -hmm. uh, is I would say is, is as close to a John Wick movie as I've seen out there. Okay. Um, really good. Really super fun. I love Bullet Train. Yeah, and John Wick has done 
so much to radically change the landscape of action filmmaking in the last 10 years. We're getting our first John Wick spinoff next year, The Ballerina. Sure, and there have always been talks about the show that they were trying to do. They're, 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 they're making the show right now for Peacock. It's going to be the Continental about the, the, hotel, the origins of the hotel. Right, and whether so, or not you can like make that level of streamlined action work on a small screen remains to be seen. We've seen it done to better and lesser degrees yeah. and stuff like uh warrior and um, Oh, what was that? Uh, into the Badlands. into the Badlands. Yeah. Yeah. Both. Yeah. It is possible. We've learned it is, but I think the fear is uh, iron fist, right? The we've fear, seen the fear is iron art. fist. Yes. <laughs> we've seen martial arts shows really work. The two you mentioned are amazing shows. And then there's also Iron Fist. Yeah. Which, while, as we both said, while not a terrible show, just because of the TV schedule and demands of it and budget, just didn't get there with the fight scenes. And that kind of made anything else that worked feel lesser because he's the awesome kung fu guy. With the caveat of season two better than season one, but still, yeah. But it, yes. <laughs> Seen too bad in season one because it focused less on Iron Fist. Right, because it, it became Colleen Wing's show. That's why. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Disney, you, you guys like money over there. Give me my fucking daughters of the dragon show. That's what I want. With those two actors back, they're both so good. I was just reading, I've been reading a ton of comics lately, just catching up mm -hmm. on a bunch of stuff. And really? one of the comics I just read for the first time was the uh, A-Force, that short run. Oh, A-Force is so fun. A-Force is so fun. I wish there was more of it. Um, yeah. But there's a great scene where one of the characters who has a, a prosthetic magic arm runs into Misty Knight. And she's like, hey, cool arm. And I was like, oh, Misty Knight. Oh, I wish she had a show. <laughs> <laughs> I do too, and and, and Simone Missick, who plays Misty Knight, and is just ah, oh, that's so good. And I think we will end up seeing all those Netflix people again. I mean, if once Charlie Cox opened the door, D'Onofrio's back. Uh, Kristen Ritter is definitely knows what she's doing, indicating yeah. that she's going to be in that. There's uh, Bernthal rumblings about him being in the Daredevil show. Uh, Mike, uh, do you see Mike Coulter? Somebody asked him about it. He goes. Well, I just keep myself in shape for when they call. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Kristen Ritter posted some picture of her and Coulter the other day together. And I was like, oh, hey, man. okay, okay. Coulter's got his own hit action franchise now. If you saw, they announced the sequel to Plane the other day. Ugh, trains. Ship. Ship. Oh, fuck it. That's so stupid. That's so stupid. Dude, Plane is an awesome action movie, They though. called it Plane, though. Plane. Because I've got a land that's Plane. Plane. Ship. Car. Train. Yeah. It goes on forever. If it involves Mike Coulter wrecking dudes. Horse. I am in. Because, it, because sequel, no Gerard Butler. Now it's just the Coulter franchise. Sure, yeah, because God bless Gerard Butler, who won't be in a movie called Ship. You guys, you and Brendan Jones, both very harsh on the title Such of that movie. Such a bad title, John. It's a it's a placeholder title, but I'm saying look past the title, and you will find a really good action film. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I'll let and it I go. Alone. I got like good reviews. Um, yeah. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Anyway. Um, let's, uh, we, we don't have a, a ton of time left here, so I want to just quickly go through, like, what are a few things you're really digging right now, Gurgoni? 
Uh, I just finished playing my first run through of Marvel Midnight Suns. I talked about it. Oh, uh, that's a that's bit. firmly like at the top of my stack of games to play. Yeah. Uh, based almost entirely on your recommendation. I and I think now's a good time to leap in because they just released the second DLC character, and that's Venom. Um, Ooh, who nice. is a big part of the story in the game. So unlocking him as a character actually makes for an interesting, like, oh, Ooh. really? Because he's a bad guy for, like, the first half of the game. But then you, like, classically, you get him in a bell tower, and, you know, that's how you defeat Venom. Um, I can say that's every Venom story ever. but <laughs> Right. But then, like, in the DLC, you lift the bell off of him, and there's Eddie Brock going, oh, I fucked up. Um, Dude, Eddie Brock, you talk about the great sad sacks of Marvel. Right. Um... And so I, I'm going to leap back in once the rest of the DLC characters are released uh, to do like a second playthrough because uh, after Venom, we're going to get Morbius. And then finally, I think the most interesting DLC character for this game, Storm. Um, Ooh. Yeah. And like they're oh, through the DLCs, they're doing this whole like vampire side story. So if it could all like lead to Bloodstorm, I'm kind of awesome with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That sounds great. And it's I'm looking like Dracula is going to be like the main bad guy of the oh, of the DLC. I love Marvel Dracula. Love yeah. Marvel Dracula. So, been playing a lot of that. Uh, more Marvel Snap, obviously. I'm deep in the Marvel stuff. Like I said, I've been reading a lot of comic books. I'm just now catching up on a lot of the Krakoan era X Men stuff. You and I were talking about that the other day. I've loved all the Krakoan stuff. I thought Hickman's relaunch of the book was fantastic. It's so good. Also, a very recent book that they're only on issue like four of right now is uh, Exterminators. Um, I haven't started that yet. That's good. It's really good. It reads more like a black label thing where it's like it could or could Ooh. not be actually connected to any continuity, okay. but they just go so over the top with the profanity and blood and violence. And it is actually another like weird vampire story, which is a lot of fun. Uh, you've Ooh. got Dazzler and uh, Jubilee and Boom Boom and uh, Laura Kinney, Wolverine, uh, Ooh, getting trapped life. by a bunch of vampires and having to like kill their way out. And it's awesome. Oh, I'm way on board. With that, I've basically been like a year behind and I'll just read like the previous year's X-Men books and yeah. then move on and then go back. So I'm always about a year behind on it, but I'll go through and read all the X titles yeah. for that year. Because I just um, completed my entire read through of Excalibur, the newest version oh, of that. And that included the, when it like near the end when it started breaking off into the X of Swords uh, miniseries yeah. and then well, like... Dipping into I mean, every series so I could get the whole story of X of Swords. Which was great. Yeah. Uh, I love all that stuff. I thought the Excalibur book is so bonkers weird fantasy, as it should be. Yeah. Um, uh, that's the thing I like. They've done a really good job of... Uh, you, there's huge benefit to reading all the books, but they all also have their own identity. I love Marauders. That might be my favorite one. That's the one I'm uh, dipping uh, into next after I finish up. Marauders is great. I love Pirate X-Men. So... <laughs> <laughs> Pirate Kitty Pride, and uh, and that means a swashbuckling Nightcrawler, which is always the best Nightcrawler. Right? 100%. Um, and, of course, I love the Wolverine book, but I always go like, of course, because Wolverine is one of my sure. favorite characters in anything. Um, but the Ben Percy Wolverine stuff is great. Yeah, um, and he's also doing X-Force, so they feel very tied together, those is, two books. X-Force is very cool as well. Yeah. Uh, I love the uh, big presence of Domino, who's one of my favorite characters. Yeah, on absolutely. So. Um, um, but yeah, that's what I've been up to mostly. What about you, John? I think we all know what I've been doing, and that's watching and just fucking sobbing and clapping and screaming through Star Trek Picard. <laughs> it's, it's everything I've ever wanted. 
said, Gurgoni, all my friends are back. Oh, really? I didn't notice. All my, all my friends are back. Uh, I don't know if you watched any of it yet. I'm waiting until I can get a couple of a few episodes in the tank and then just plow through them because I know these sure, sure. the last couple of seasons of Picard. I don't know the last season of the Picard. I wasn't a huge fan. I know of. you weren't a big fan of. I really enjoyed it. It was the Next Generation Voyage Home, but you've certainly heard the buzz about season three. And I've seen all the character posters and like white bearded Worf makes me tear up just looking oh. at it. Episode two introduces Worf in the single most badass Worf scene you've ever seen. Okay. 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 I'll just say, like, if it, all it's similar to like the Batman thing. It's like, ooh, major production and stunt team uh, having Worf. All of a sudden, he's just cutting off heads and gutting <laughs> Romulans, and you're like, dude, this is everything I ever wanted Worf to be. Can I actually um, see what it looks like to wield a batleth? He fucking takes a guy's head right off, <laughs> just one swipe off, and I was. <laughs> Uh, that, I that have was always to, the thing with the Batleth. It feel, felt like something they designed because it looks cool, but how do you actually yeah. use it as a weapon was never really like nailed down. Yeah, uh, and a lot of that was up to Dorn, actually, believe it or not. like When you do see a lot of it was kind of like, I don't know, Michael, uh, do the thing. Yeah. Figure it out like this. Um, uh, so it's so good, though. It's The villain is amazing. I'm really into the, the Amanda Plummer whose father, Christopher Plummer, was one of my favorite Star Trek villains who played uh, General Chang in Star Trek VI, um, which is great. Uh, you know, Patrick Stewart's obviously doing amazing stuff. I love the new USS Titan that's sort of become the main ship. Because um, that's uh, uh, Riker's that was ship, Riker's, isn't it? Yeah. That was right. It was Riker's ship. Now he's a retired captain. And so one of the big points of contention is there's a new captain of the Titan. And I don't care for this guy. You're gonna, I don't care for him one bit. Well, because he's sitting in Riker's chair. He's sitting in Riker's chair, and he's a real, like, I do things by the book, unlike how you used to do things back on the Enterprise. Mm. It's like, I think you're going to find this mission boring, Picard. I won't be blowing anything up. <laughs> you know, and, I'm, of course, me being the rabid fan, I'm like, you shut the fuck up, and you show him respect. <laughs> you also, call him Admiral Picard. <laughs> Picard was never the guy to blow stuff up. Like, that was always Janeway. <laughs> I know. I love the idea that, because, like, this new new this next next generation thinks Picard is reckless. <laughs> Which is kind of a cool idea. I like the idea that like for the next generation, Picard, uh, Kirk was like this wild man. Yeah. Now for these people it's like Picard, that guy was nuts. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, so Picard's like, but I just want to sit in my vineyard and have some tea. Is that too well, much I to think ask? What I like about this season, and, and what has really been the whole of the Picard show, but particularly this season, is like, do you really want to sit and drink that tea? That's what you say. Mm. But, like, the second there's trouble, you're leaping out of that chair, grabbing a phaser, and going out into space, man. Like, <laughs> And it's, a lot of it is a buddy story between him and Riker, and I could watch those two banter all day. Oh, all I mean day, man. Those were always the best parts of the last two seasons was when he went. Yes. And so this is firmly a Picard and Riker adventure. Good. Good good, good and uh, cool. Good and cool. And and they are slow rolling. We've seen Beverly, Worf, Riker, uh, and that's it at this point. So we haven't we we've we've alluded to Geordi. We know where Geordi is because he's running the ship, uh like the fleet building. Mm. Uh, at Utopia Planitia. Mm -hmm. Uh <laughs> 
this is look at this is this is we talk about star wars enough on the show here that i can go into like sure it, yeah. it's uh, just off of the mars mission uh, where they're building the the but uh, it's it's really really good. And John, I'm secure enough in my fandom that I can talk about Star Trek too and not feel violated. Oh, absolutely. That's it. Because uh, I think I think we both have uh, we both enjoy each other's main star franchise, with, but we each obsess about a different one. So mm-hmm. anyway, it's so good. Also, the score. The score is amazing. I've enjoyed the stuff they've done with the Jeff Russo's Picard themes, and those are still here. But this is a firm return to next generation score. I mean, they kind of have to, right? Well, I, I I like anytime they go. So this is just next generation season eight, and everybody's like, well, I, well, you know. I I think the better description is it feels like the next TNG movie, hmm. not. Because one of the big things the showrunners goes like, we'd be telling smaller contained stories if it was really TNG season eight. Sure, this is and it does. This is a this and and even each episode is called chapter one, chapter two. This is clearly a ten part epic next generation adventure. But it is this a is next generation Nemesis adventure. part two. <laughs> it and it definitely it has the scope of Nemesis, and okay. I, I think you are, you are also a Nemesis defender, you know. I like. I, I honestly I think know, all the next gen movies are pretty good. I think the I weakest agree. one is probably Insurrection. It is, but even that is a total like the big criticism of Insurrection was people go like, "Oh, it's just a two hour episode of Next Generation." I'm going, I love Next Generation. <laughs> I, I I think the weakest next gen movie is better than the worst of the original series movies. Totally agree. Totally yeah. agree, uh, you know, and and I and I'm even a Star Trek Five defender, so you know. Um, but God but, help and, you for that, but yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I I think Star Trek Five and Insurrection are about on par with each other for me. But um, Insurrection is uh, Insurrection is better because it, it, it it's a better looking movie at the moment. Yeah, uh, yeah. It doesn't feel as cheap as Star Trek Five, which is its big sin. Oh, um, but I, I'm I'm so thrilled. Uh, I have to watch it twice because I, I I literally like can't I can't handle the first view. Uh, <laughs> well, it's how it's and good. to segue a little bit, it's how I usually yeah. treat my Marvel movies as well. The first yes. time I watch a Marvel movie, and Star Wars for that matter, yeah. uh, But Marvel is pertinent to our discussion going forward. Is, yeah, let's let's get into this from from this point on. Spoilers are in effect. Yeah, we're gonna for... be spoiling the hell out of Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania. Which, by the way, th- I saw it when they did it at the end of the trailer, but I didn't know this. I- I- I've seen it twice now. Um, the first time I saw it with previously mentioned friend of the show, Brennan Jones, and he was the one who pointed out Ant-Man is, the name Ant-Man is in Quantumania. I saw it as soon as they announced the name Quantumania. Wow, okay, you were you you were you were quicker on that, and I and until he told me that, and then they do it at the end of the movie when they do the yeah. logo, and I oh that's so cool. I don't know, maybe I've done word puzzles for too long, but like as soon as well, they I put mean, up quantum I mania, mean, I was like, I see the ant, I see the man. Okay. Well, and and Brendan talked about it, kind of harkens back to the 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 very simple but brilliant Stan Lee of giant man, right? Right. Yeah. So so good. Yeah. So Stan Lee too. It's giant man. But. So when right. I'm discussing this movie, I'm going to be a little bit, I'm, I'm I'm couching everything I'm saying in the fact that I've only seen this movie once because the first time I usually see Marvel movies, I have to let them wash over me and just fanboy out about them in the same yeah. way you are about episodes of Picard because what? I'm seeing things on the screen that I never thought were going to be on a movie screen like Kang the Conqueror or MODOK. 
Yes, and I, I have I have the exact same feeling. Star Trek and Marvel are my a number one fandom. So, uh, I have I have similar feelings about both of them. But yes, there does have to just be a thing about like that's Modok, or just that they say a thing. They know that guy. The fact that people said the words "mental organism designed only for killing." And then yeah. commented on the fact that you're dropping the from from the acronym. Modovk. Modovk. Yeah. <laughs> um, can we talk about one of the big MVPs of this movie is Corey Stoll? Okay. I'm going to be talking about them a lot in this review because I think they're very crucial to my viewing experience. And that is the yeah. group of stoners that were sitting behind me in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's interesting. I think that's key because... Uh, Brendan and I saw it like a midday, like the fir- the very first screening you could see in the state. Uh-huh. So it was like uh, families. Yeah. So and- we had the exact opposite approach. We had like kids who were laughing and clapping because they like Ant-Man. Sure. And I had a group of stoners behind me who lost their goddamn minds at the floating head, man. Oh my God, of course. Because they're like, <laughs> dude, is that really in the movie? Right. <laughs> And I think, I think it's kicking in, man. <laughs> Modoc is the most jarring thing in this movie, 100%. In my re- opinion. And I think uh, w- what I've seen from reactions of people, it's a real bellwether test. There are yeah. some people who, as soon as that thing opens up, it's like, the fuck, Marvel, you've lost your goddamn minds. Yeah. Whereas I'm cackling, going, you mad bastards, you did it. You actually did it. I know. I, know, I always go back to that Timothy Dalton uh, clip that's amazing from that James Bond documentary about we were doing it. We were actually doing it. And that's what I was thinking. Uh, I think I actually did turn to Brendan when we saw it the first time and I just go, they're doing it. They're doing the thing. Because we had, we had heard the rumors and I'm going, okay, well, even if it's Corey Stoll doing the voice and they make it the Darren Cross connection, which is a cool idea. You talk about things sure. that are like echoes of the comics. Mm-hmm. It's like Darren Cross isn't Modoc in the comics, but you're like, one of the things that Marvel's so good at, and I always praise them for, is they're very logical within their own storytelling. They're basing it off of this crazy stew of continuity, right? Mm-hmm. But they're going, okay, we've done this. Ooh, well, if we connect this to this, within our continuity, the logic is sound. And so the right. idea of Darren Cross being torn... I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't think they had this plan, but it's just... Because I, from what I gather, it's not this big vision. It's more like, ooh... We did that. We could do this. Mm-hmm. But it totally makes sense. He gets his, gets his body all out of sorts and sent down to the quantum realm. So why not make him Moda? And the big, like you said, bellwether here is the fact that Modok is such a stupid looking character. Like on the Ooh. comics page, it only sort of works. And different mm-hmm. artists have made him look more monstrous or less monstrous, depending on which book you're but talking that, about. That initial core design is one of the most Kirby things in the world. Sure. But to translate that into anything that looks remotely human adds a layer of uncanny valley that you're either going to have to get over or it's going to bug you the entire movie. Yes. And that's an interesting thing because I've seen a lot of people bag on the effects in this movie. And I, you know, maybe a couple shots here and there, but I think these are pretty good. I think the movie looks great. Yeah, I, I'd need to see it another again another time just to really like nitpick it if I had to. I mean, there's some moments like in anything. There's some less rendered like green screen backgrounds here and there that I always 
think, I don't know, but I always think those are like reshoots where they've clearly shot close-ups and thrown up a green screen and so they don't have the attention to detail. Yeah. And um, but I thought for the most part, design-wise, the movie was amazing. I loved all the craze, the whole design of the Quantum Realm I thought was just fantastic. We talked about in the trailers we were talking about about franchises that commit to their weirdness in terms of Fast and the Furious, in terms of John Wick, and in terms of Guardians of the Galaxy as well. This is a movie yeah. that commits so hard to let's do weird microverse story and you're either on board with all the weird little guys that are going to show up and the aliens yeah. and the like guys with holes and psychic powers and lanterns for heads and barbarian uh, ladies and we're just going to have yeah. one of everything and get on board or get out because this movie's going to be weird as hell i was i of course was bummed that because of licensing stuff, Marvel can't say Micronauts anymore. Right, sure. Which is a bummer because we're definitely doing Micronaut shit in this movie. Oh yeah, I mean, and this it's, and it's great. This is Micronauts with the serial numbers filed off. It 100 percent totally is because that's tech. You know, there's a Hasbro tie. Same thing with Ron the Space Knight, right? And so those are that because of the Hasbro deal with Paramount. Yeah, those I, are over their own thing. They're, they're they keep telling me those are going to share the screen with Transformers someday, but. I'll believe it when I see it on that Hasbro universe. But that's the thing, right? Is the ROM, all the secondary ROM characters were all Marvel creations, Marvel. though. So, like, yeah. the Dire Wraiths and stuff are all Marvel yeah. characters. They have to, I don't know if you've read any of the IDW ROM stuff. That's what they have to do, and that's a whole, its own thing. Huh. Interesting. They had okay. created basically a new continuity. But don't worry, folks. When we get that mask movie, that's when things are really good. <laughs> Uh, but yes, uh, I loved all the Quantum Realm stuff. Uh, I think you and I being comics fans, and, and most people I know who were really into comics really enjoyed this movie, but you know, the big thing people are really pointing on is that this is the lowest Rotten Tomatoes score for a Marvel movie ever. The magic's gone! So many think pieces about, this is it, folks. It happened. They're done. I'm done with think pieces, John. I don't care anymore. I really don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm done with reviews. This this was this was it. This movie was the there were two movies that came out this weekend that I was excited about. One was this, the other one was Marlowe with uh, Liam Neeson, because I'm a huge Raymond Chandler fan. Mm -hmm. And both of them got slammed by critics, and both of them I read reviews and went, These are stupid reviews. Hmm. The Ant Man thing, they're just going like, Ugh, God, whatever. And then the Marlowe reviews, though, too, they're going like Oh man, way to just try to be like an old noir film. Nothing new. I'm like, it it's a loving ode to classic noir, man. And they're like, do something new. Okay. What, what do you fucking want? So this has the second lowest Rotten Tomatoes score as of let's see. Uh, when was this? Is, is, is it still Eternals? Is still lower? Eternals is still lower, which is insane to me. I've just rewatched that movie. That movie's fine. Um, oh man, I, I I'm even more. I love Eternals. It is total Kirby gobbledygook, but it is a. It's one of the best looking Marvel movies. I think that movie's beautiful. The idea that anyone would think that Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania is a worse mm -hmm. film than Thor The Dark World is insane to me. Crazy. Crazy. I mean, I, I, on every level, this is a better movie. And I, that's, I'm saying that as, look, I'm a Marvel zombie, all right? Sure, I've yeah. seen Thor The Dark World like 12 times. 
Yeah, and like we've always <laughs> said, the worst Marvel movie, movie is like a B minus, right? In yeah, our eyes. and I could, and I could throw it on any day, and I always enjoy Thor: The Dark World. I know all of its faults. Yeah, but the high, there are high highs in that movie. Any scene with Thor and Loki in that movie, oh, fantastic! Like the. Ed Norton Incredible Hulk movie is a flawed film. It is highly compromised. We've talked about it ad nauseum. Still and seen it more than Ben does. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And, and they can watch it anytime, and it's a totally good, fun Hulk movie. But you look at those early Marvel films in which like the reviews were based around the fact that no one had really understood what this experiment was going to be and how right. much legs it had. So when you have... Incredible Hulk has a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes, or Thor of the Dark World has a 66%. Thor Love and Thunder has 63. I would say, well, I see now I'm, I I love Love and Thunder. I I think people are needlessly harsh about that movie, but, uh, but whatever. But I think like a 60, well, I would probably go more into like the 70s on those, like we said, like, like in the B minus C plus range. Sure. But fair, like on those, those are. Th- those re- those numbers, at least in terms of if you're trying to make it jibe with the quality, yeah, that's that's deserved. There are things to criticize them for. Sure. To say that Quantumania deserves a 48, I think speaks to this level of, like you said, being having to remove ourselves as fans, having to remove ourselves from the critic culture because it yeah. seems like there's this general consensus among certain realms of criticism that they're just done with Marvel films and the superhero stuff. And so they have to be, like you say, a little needlessly harsh in my mind. I don't know. And, and now I think, I think there's a hipness to it, right? I think the hip and as somebody who loves movies and spends a lot of time in sort of the cinema discussion online, mm-hmm. there is sort of this hierarchy of like, well, I'm a film fan, and those are dumb movies for babies. And I'm not saying that leaks into every review, but I do think there is a certain thing where it's become so popular, so ubiquitous, that the hip, cool opinion is to not like these movies now. Yeah, that's the, that is the turn at which like pop culture becomes culture, right? The MCU is so ubiquitous that it is like the Western in that... Yeah. It is just a piece of the media landscape. That, that is something Brendan said that he's been trying to do. Now, the problem is you can't really quantify movies from the past. But Brendan was talking about, and I think this is true, he goes, I want to go back to the 1950s and see if there were a bunch of reviews about like the new John Wayne movie going, oh, more guys on horses. Jesus. <laughs> and I thought that was a perfect, like, yeah. reviews were, there were fewer reviews, which was a nicer time, too, when you had like <laughs> 15 critics, you know, or whatever, like. Uh, if you didn't work now, for a newspaper, your voice didn't get out there. Right, right, exactly. And you pretty much only read whatever your local paper's critic said. Because mm-hmm. um, I remember that. Like, when I was a kid, it was like Siskel and Ebert on TV and whoever was writing for the Oregonian. That was it. Those were the only movie opinions I heard. Yeah. Now, I just I think that's a big problem, too, is the how many reviews? Look at this. What is this? 354 reviews for this movie. That's a mm-hmm. lot of fucking critics. Now, I, something I have noticed, and this is happening a lot, and take from what you will, we are trying to quantify subjective quality, right? Like, it is sure. that is always one of the things that I have a problem with in general. But 83% audience score. And I see this a lot now. Yeah. Like, huge divides in audience 
And once again, I take the audience score with a grain of salt. I'm just looking at trends, though. Mm-hmm. Is I'm seeing a lot of movies that it seems like, from what numbers you can get, people, quote-unquote, are liking, and critics are bashing on. And that seems like kind of a problem. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it speaks to. And, like, we're in such a strange middle ground, the two of us, because we yeah. do see all of these movies. We try to think about them with a critical air, right? And I'd yeah. like to think that I am media literate enough that I can tell you what is good or bad about something. And I give it enough critical thought that I can distill and put down into words what I think the problems or the structural issues are with a given story or the visual or, like, filmmaking problems. I've seen enough movies. I know how they're made well enough that I can distill that into thoughts. Exactly. A lot of people can't. No, and I think, and I think, and, and and nor do they often have to. I think that's a right. big thing you and I have also talked about a lot. Is most people just don't. It doesn't matter. You know, like they just yeah. see a movie and they go, "That was fun." Yeah, and exactly. I think a lot of the general feeling I, I saw of seeing this with like a big crowd was people left pretty happy. Yeah. People left going, well, yeah, good stuff. I, meanwhile, I've got these stoners behind me freaking out when Scott Lang is getting his ass handed to him by Kang in the last 10 minutes of this movie because they're so, like, into this film, not thinking about the, like, little foibles of the CGI or how everything in the background is fake or how there's no, uh, like, sets built for this movie. No, they're, like, in on this weird sci-fi journey that we're just all being brought along on. Exactly, and I think that is what I so... I dream of experiencing my favorite thing in the world because movies are my favorite thing in the world. So my favorite feeling is to get totally lost in a film, just get totally caught off in it and not be thinking about that. And I still can. It's a big thing where I remember being in a, in a film class and I'm going, once you take this class, you'll never be able to just watch a movie for entertainment again. And in my head, I went, oh, fucking try me. well it's something you and i talk about a lot both on and off air is like okay sometimes you can't turn off the screenwriter brain right sometimes you see the story math it kind of becomes the barometer for me a lot of the time is how how good a movie is if i completely lose it uh, uh a movie that happened recently very much with that for me was ryan johnson's glass onion i just mm, yeah. fine. i just was yeah. completely absorbed for that almost two and a half hour movie and when it ended i just went oh i didn't even God damn, what a movie experience. And that's not yeah. the entire barometer for my quality, but same thing. When Scott Lang was getting his ass handed to him, I'm like, oh no, god damn it. This yeah. is bad. Um, which leads us to we have to talk about Jonathan Majors, who is fast Fuck. becoming one of my absolute favorite actors working. I love this guy. And him as Kang is I, I, I think I think he is my number one Marvel villain now. I don't want to make that determination just yet. He's in <laughs> like, the running. I mean, let me say he's in, in a couple appearances. He's in my top five at the very least. That is what I'll say is in a couple of appearances, he has made such a huge impression between yeah. he who remains in Loki oh. and now as pr- Kang proper in quantum mania, though conqueror, not the first, nor shall it be the last Kang for Kang is infinite. Well, that's a big thing. People have talked about is people go like, so wait, did they kill him at the end of this movie? I'm going, well, maybe, but it doesn't matter actually. No, it really doesn't. <laughs> so we could say like, we could see yeah. this exact same character in the next movie that he shows up in, and it could still not be the same Kang. I mean, you talk about going all in when that mid credits has number one Ramatet and Ramatet 
Immortus yeah. and fucking Scarlet Centurion. I was just like, yeah. we're doing it. We're fucking doing it. And I thought, I thought, well, that's nuts. And then when there's like thousands of Kangs, I was like, well, we're really doing it. They recreated the page from the original, like, yeah. I believe it, it's not Kang Dynasty because everyone conflates that story with uh, like some of the other wackier Kang stuff. Yes. Um, but well, comic, because comics, we love comics. But they're they're gobbledygook sometimes. Yeah, and Kang Dynasty was like a four issue miniseries that was like a storyline in the Avengers, which was not a big deal book at Marvel at the time. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, kids, there was a time when the Avengers wasn't like all the rage, even in comics. To equate them to DC's Justice League is a false equivalency. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like the Avengers were a. B tier list at best throughout most of Marvel's history. Well, and 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 also you, like Justice League has pretty much always had the heavy hitter A listers on its team. Not yeah. the case at Avengers. There's some no. weird Avengers lineups. I was reading um, some Avengers West Coast recently, some of the original mm -hmm. issues, and whenever they go back to the East Coast Avengers, you're like, what the fuck? Like when was Star Fox like a big part of the Avengers team? The same time that Black Knight and Cersei were. That's what I mean. You've got like Janet Van Dyne is, is in charge of the Avengers. Star Fox uh -huh. is like a key lieutenant. I'm going. Oh, this is a weird ass lineup, man. Well, Iron you Man don't like uh, you know Jack of Hearts and the Swordsman and Beast all in the Avengers. And then you team? even get stuff like you're going like, oh, Iron Man's here. Oh, but it's Jim Rhodes, Iron Man. Or then when you yeah. get the fake Thor and stuff like that, you know, you're like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. This is it's always I always feel like whenever I go back, it's always like when I went back and read all the uh, Infinity stuff. That was where you had uh, was it? Uh, oh, what's his name? Who was the guy who was fake Thor or other Thor? Uh, and I'm not talking about Masters. Yes, Eric Masters. Eric Masters. Eric Masters. Yeah, 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 yeah. Eric Masters. But like, you go back and read like oh, Thunderstrike man. is the superhero name. Yeah, but like that's the thing where it's like you go back and read like oh man, the original Infinity Gauntlet story, so cool, Thanos, and, all, and then you're going like oh wait, there's a fake fucking Thor in this book. <laughs> right. It's the same thing. Like I love the Grant Morrison JLA run. I, it's my favorite Justice League run. But you go back and go, shit, part of this has electric blue Superman in it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah oh, yeah. God. Uh, so, yeah, there is that sort of stuff. But good God, to get somebody that is as talented as Jonathan Majors and also is so game. He is 100% in on every one of these Kang takes. I am. You talk about roles that were given as a gift to actors. Oh, yeah. The idea that you could sell somebody on, okay, you're playing every version of this character who exists across all of time and space. Each one could be the same character, or you could have such a radically different take every single time. As an actor, you got to approach that. You're either overwhelmed or you're overjoyed. Like, those are your two options on that scale. And I feel like Jonathan Majors is overjoyed, and he is playing... Every version of Kang we've seen so far to the rafters. Well, something I saw an interview with him because uh, uh, he's obviously out doing a lot of press. And uh, by the way, um, if you're built like Jonathan Majors, I've learned you can just rock a sleeveless sweater, a full on like him. sweater just with the sleeves cut off because that man is a beast. 
Uh, sure. And I can't wait I mean, for Creed 3, man, that's coming out. I was going to say, yeah. He, not only has he been training for MCU stuff, he's also got a boxing movie he's got to do. And he's doing. He's about to go shoot a bodybuilder film next. So Sure, uh, yeah, of course. He's just shredded. Uh, but um, but his background is in clowning. He's extensively trained in clowning. Oh, interesting. Clown work. And he talks about, oh, I fall back on that a lot for Kang. Mm, that totally makes sense. Like and it, you talk it, about disappearing behind the facade of the clown. Yeah. Because right? that's a big part of clowning. I've maybe read a little too much about clowning professionally. Well, it's the thing, too. Uh, uh, another actor I, I know we're both big fans of, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. He yeah. said uh, in an interview a couple months ago, he goes, oh, when I played Black Manta, that was clown work. And people go, oh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen shits on Superman. Like, no, no, he literally means classic clown work. Yeah. <laughs> He's not saying yeah, yeah. that's bullshit. He's saying I am using the techniques created in clowning the theatrical performance to Correct. play larger than life characters. Yeah. Also, he's going to uh, be Wonder Man, and I can't wait to see. Yeah, you have Dual Mateen the second as Wonder Man. I mean, I just want to see him in more of everything. But dude, also I know another uh, one word action way title people make fun of me for, but fucking ambulance with him is so good. I. Highly recommend for those listening or watching this on YouTube. Go watch some, like, little YouTube documentaries or something on what actually, like, goes into professional clowning. Yeah. Just type clown college into YouTube. And, like, people joke about it, but there is actually a lot of thought that goes into that shit. Yeah, because people, everybody's, you know, think of the circus or rodeos, yeah. things like that. It's like, clowning is an art form unto it. I mean, it's it's a style of acting, basically. Yeah, I mean, like, basically. John the Major says, he goes, I don't go anywhere without a red nose. Ever. Why would it's you? always on me. <laughs> Every single place I go. Because at its most basic, it is about constructing a persona and creating choices based on that persona. Yeah. And usually it is to the effect of comedy when it comes to, like, very traditional clown stuff. But that's not but the case here because... One of the things yeah. I love about this, Ant-Man movies are known for being sort of the lighter, funnier stuff. And all the Ant-Man characters in this movie are, are are light and funny. By the way, of course, one of my great film heroes, Bill Murray. Uh, hilarious in his one scene. Uh, one scene, yeah. Very good, though. He comes in and Murray's all over the place for one scene, basically, right? He does. Yeah. Um, but Kang, there's not an ounce of comedy in there, man. That dude is focused and terrifying. It makes for this really interesting balance because one of the complaints about the Ant-Man franchise, if we want to call it that, mm -hmm. is that it has probably had some of the weakest villains in its movies up to this point. I would argue that Ant-Man 2 doesn't even really have a villain. No, and that, um, was, that was like a purposeful uh, yeah. construction of the film was going like, no, the, the, it, it's more situational. Walton Goggins is an antagonist but he's not a villain and and in fact they purposely downplay him to just make him sort of like a sketchy criminal dude yeah exactly and ghost obviously is a sympathetic antagonist yes. and you've got everything going on with goliath as i'm well. so glad they're bringing ghost back by the way because that character i think is really interesting absolutely and so when this movie has like you said one of the best marvel bad guys ever that's a hard shift for not only the ant-man movies uh but also to create the focus of the overplot going forward in an Ant-Man movie just makes this particular film a really interesting crux in the MCU experiment that going forward, I'll be curious to see if this is sort of the hinge point in the same way that uh, movies like um, 
what uh oh my god why am i blanking on this uh guardians of the galaxy sort of was yeah and that like okay it is kind of based in this like comedy thing but there's going to be a lot of important things set up here that will play out over and the next something um something that was pointed out and and and, and shout out to friend of show brendan jones and his other his podcast prodigious saps which i recommend people check out if you want to hear more of this kind of pop culture discussion but something he said on that show that i completely agree with is it's actually really smart to send the most threatening new villain after sort of the most underrated or at least underappreciated or like uh uh what's what i'm looking for but like underestimated yeah Marvel hero right it's sort of the thing about like we're going to bring Kang Conqueror. He's the next big bad. He's the next Thanos, right? Uh, and who's he going to fight first? I mean, because he had sort of a tete-a-tete with Loki, although he wasn't really Kang the Conqueror in that. But, you know, that was sort of... But send him after Ant-Man. You go like, well, Ant-Man's going to get fucking destroyed. But the script is so good in that, no, yeah, it was like, yes, Kang, you are the most powerful and devious guy, but these people will fucking outthink you. And that's what they do. They're clever. They're scrappy. Oh my god, this is the best Hank Pym movie, I think. Yeah, I really like Hank's, all of Hank's stuff in this. I mean, and like, obviously the triumphant moment when he comes back in with all the ants. I do love so at some good. point when he goes, he goes, you're talking about doing ant science? He goes, yeah, I'm doing ant science. I like ants. <laughs> I love... Sorry, I'm late. It's a lot of ants. <laughs> and it, crotchety Michael Douglas is everything to me in these movies. And he's a perfect Hank Pym, because Hank Pym is a crotchety dude, famously, throughout all the mm. comics. And it's... But also because he's got that gravitas of Michael Douglas, much like Scott, I'm going, will you be my dad? <laughs> I mean, I was legitimately touched when he's like, yeah, I read your book. I read every goddamn word of it. Every time Cassie calls him Grandpa Hank, mm -hmm. like, there was a moment in at the beginning of the movie when she does it where I was like, wait, they're not actually related in any way, shape, or form, but I don't care. He's Grandpa Hank. He's Grandpa <laughs> Hank! And, oh my god, one of my only notes, and it's just by nature of the story, it's not really a criticism of the movie, was Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, that second movie... Uh, I'm like, oh my god, I'm a, such a huge Michelle Pfeiffer fan, but she's kind of just in it at the end. Oh boy, does she get to be a showcase here, and she's so good. It really lets you know, my god, she's such a talented actor. And all the stuff with her and Jonathan Majors, and also, I love her being the person who goes like, no, stick with me, I know this place. And everybody knows yeah. her. I do like at some point when Scott just goes, does everyone know Janet down here? <laughs> or like you name drop her and sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes it's a bad thing it is because you have this sort of you know uh i i would expect you to probably but i've seen a lot of critics uh whether they've liked it or not but bring up like this movie feels very star warsy and i kind of get what they're saying and that there's a lot of crazy alien designs and the sort of overarching rebellion plot right Sure, and it's a classic fish out of water, like savior from another world story. Well, you get tossed kind of into thing. a conflict that you don't really understand, and you have to come to grips with who's the good guys and who the say, bad guys are. The, the, I get the Star Wars thing, but yeah, I, I'm I, being the kind of nerds we are. I'm going like, well, it's kind of John Carter or Flash Gordon, right? Like, it's yeah, hundred percent. Which of course lead to or Dune, right? All those things kind of add up into a lot of the Star Wars mythos, anyway. But sure. the idea that, that she's the one who can kind of ground it in the stakes of like, no, you don't know how... I love... the. We see Kang right at the beginning with the little prologue where we see them. 
uh, mm-hmm. both land in the quantum realm. And then for maybe the first 45, maybe, maybe almost an hour of the movie, everybody's just going, you're here, and he knows it. He's yeah. coming. It's all just like, he'll be, and you're just like, oh, shit. This is how you build up a bad guy in a movie. Th- this was part of my screenwriter brain that I couldn't turn off. It really does feel like this movie was written in a way that Kang was supposed to be a reveal, but the marketing mm. and everything around this franchise made it so we already knew Kang was going to be here. Yes, yeah. So I mean, when I the movie is going, the- he, him, you don't know what he's capable of, and yeah. it's like, the whole time I'm thinking like, but I know it's Kang, why isn't the movie telling me it's Kang? Yeah, oh my god, though, but it, uh, uh, yes, but I love any time he's like, uh, they talk about, uh, like, you're going to do this and it's going to kill trillions. That's what monsters do. And then when he just goes, that's what conquerors do. I'm just going, yeah. oh, 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 man, this guy. I mean, when he does that, like, big speech at the end, it's like, I am Kang. I was like, yes, you are. <laughs> but I also love when, when Giant Man in full giant form stomps in the city and goes, Kang! And just like, yeah. oh man, it's so it is. It's it's two hours of comic book nonsense, and I live for comic book nonsense. But I do think, and this is where when the critics get on it, because you and I will, you were talking about, we have some objectivity. We will totally own when like this movie is this movie's kind of dumb, but we like it because we like shit like this. But yeah. I'm going, dude, the, the emotional underpinnings really work here. The the the. Uh, Hank Janet relationship is really good. The Scott uh, Cassie relationship, the Cassie relationship within the sort of Lang Pym family that's been created. I mean, I think Catherine mm-hmm. Newton is amazing in this too. Uh, I got to say, I've really liked her. I loved her. If, if people haven't seen Freaky, uh, I really oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. check out Freaky. She's great in that, and that's where I really took notice of her. And uh, I think she's so good. I can't wait to see more Cassie. Uh, she's been very coy anytime anybody uses the the term Young Avengers in interviews with her. But um, it is sort of like that thing where, in Feige, too, he goes, oh, well, uh, now that you mention it, all those people are part of the Young Avengers. You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, and literally after watching this movie, I went back and picked up my, my trades of the Young Avengers run. Okay. And the first thing that pops into my head after I finish that first trade is like, oh... Cassie and a young Kang sort of have a thing here. That could be an interesting. Well, that's I, I'm, I'm very curious to see. Clearly, they're going to do some of the Young Avengers, but are they going to do the Kang connections to that? Because that is some of the most interesting stuff in Young Avengers. Is right um, is the Iron uh, Lad. Yeah. Iron Lad. That's it. I was trying to remember. Yes, uh, who's such a cool character of like I am this thing, but not this thing yet, and am I destined to be this monster and. Um, and how do I fight that future? And can I put together a team to maybe stop myself from turning me into the, oh, the thing so that is Kang? Young Avengers, <laughs> guys. If you're sleeping on that, don't, man. Uh, I mean, so it introduces Kate Bishop to the yeah. Marvel comics. It gives us Hulkling and Wiccan, mm-hmm. uh, who are really cool characters who I hope we get at some point in these movies. Agreed. Um, uh, and uh, we've already uh, we've already had... Uh, he's not the character yet, but we've already had Patriot. Uh, appear briefly in uh, Falcon Winter Soldier. I mean, technically, we've had Wiccan and Speed show up as well. Those yeah. are Scarlet Witch's kids, but that's a whole other not. I don't know how they can address that, but like Patriot sitting right there. Yeah, he's, exactly. he's literally sitting in a house in Washington D.C. waiting to become a superhero. So, 
and I do think I do think you know it doesn't have to be the exact lineup. All those characters, I could totally see a Kamala Khan fitting into that. Maybe bring sure. in some of the champions kind of stuff. Roll that yeah. together into one young Avengers team. I would love that. That's actually what surprised me the most about this movie in the first like fifteen minutes was how many like spiritual references and like connections it has to the Falcon and Winter Soldier show in terms of like referencing displaced people and how that's still a, a I, problem going through in the Cassie is like an activist in all of this. I think that show's gonna be a bigger spin than it seemed initially, because obviously that's gonna lead us right into New World Order, which is gonna mm -hmm. be big and I cannot wait. Because oh, we sure. get Harrison yeah. Ford to Marvel and Tim Blake Nelson back as the leader. I need this in my life. <laughs> Guys, I really need this. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and that may even uh, roll into Thunderbolts uh, with a lot of the sort of underpinnings of, uh, you know, I mean, U.S. agent, obviously, but like just the underpinnings of where the world stands coming out of Falcon Winter Soldier and Wakanda Forever. Uh, and now Secret Invasion as well. I think the governmental makeup of the Marvel Universe is a real interesting question right now. How law enforcement, how intelligence is being gathered in this world of superheroes post the blip. Well, it speaks to something that I think we're seeing coalesce, and that is this distillation of two big themes running parallel to each other that haven't yet really intersected. And right. that is how the world has changed post a an event like the blip and how the multiverse around them is changing because of how wild and comic booky the world has now settled into. And so we're touching this larger universe both cosmically and also like multiversally. But so the world is kind of reordering itself, aha, uh, in a way that is like preemptively responding to that without actually interacting with it just yet. It's an interesting thing because I saw so many people like there's there's sort of this attitude that phase four was a disappointment or that it was all over the place and not building towards something. And I'm kinda I'm kinda going like did phase one seem? I mean, it was building the Avengers, but like thematically and stuff, it was also all of, like we we only in retrospect know what all things were building towards. I don't think we're yeah. really going to know how all these things ebb and flow with the multiverse saga until it's over, right? I mean, they are, yeah. and I think if anything, they're because they're starting this saga from we already did the Infinity Saga. They're actually, I think, if anything, they're slow rolling stuff purposefully. You know, they are laying seeds in a much more calculated manner. So I think I think they're actually doing more world building and laying of seeds, but they're doing it in a subtler, slower way because they know they have the space to do it. They're, this feels more confident to me. It doesn't feel scattershot the way people talk about it. Right. I mean, I think Wakanda Forever is a perfect example of that because there is so much groundwork being laid in terms of how other governments are trying to react to a superpowered nation like Wakanda and how they, the hidden, like, superpowered nations that have tried to remain that way, like Talokan, mm -hmm. are also reacting to the world getting bigger and wilder and more dramatic. And so we have this continued evolution of forces coming to bear on the world as it gets wilder and wilder to the point where something I've consistently said is I love the fact that we're at a point in the MCU where we can settle in and it can feel comic booky and yes. like the wild ways in which things just exist out in the world can continue to percolate and build into stories but can also just 
in an episode of She-Hulk, we can have the immortal man uh, uh, divorce proceedings and <laughs> well, <'cause laughs> Mr. Immortal. It, 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 yes. And it, I do love when everybody's like, dude, this is an insult to Mr. Immortal. I'm like, you don't fucking care about Mr. Immortal. And also, <laughs> in the Dan Slaw, I, I, I love Dan Slaw for going, dude, nobody's read more She Hulk than me. And let me tell you, this is actually, you can not like it, but you can't say it's not comic accurate. But like, no, that Mr. Immortal stuff is in the comic. Maybe it's not in the ones you've read, but it is sort of this thing where it's like, I always yeah. love, though, when everybody's like, all of a sudden, some side character's like, the most beloved Marvel character. It's like, you didn't give a shit about Mr. Immortal yesterday. You haven't thought about him once ever. Uh, <laughs> all of a sudden, he's everybody's favorite character. Um, Suddenly, everybody fucking loves Leapfrog. Exactly. exactly. I've, I did. I do people going, like, this isn't Leapfrog in the comics. I'm like, nobody gives a shit about Leapfrog. Um, and I know there are fans of Leapfrog. But I'm saying, but uh, so anyway, uh, to kind of uh, wrap this up, because uh, we got to we gotta uh, bring this in for a landing here. Um, I think this is this is really good. It, it it lays a lot of foundations for stuff. It's clearly uh what I think really works about it is and I've seen some of the critics go, well, this is just and this I see about a lot of the Marvel movies now, this is just setting up the next movie. And it definitely is setting up the next big things. But I do think that's ignoring where it really lands a lot of the arcs of the Ant-Man characters. I think this is a good third Ant-Man movie. Still, it's that that's in there. And I think Similar to what we're talking about, James Gunn, um, Peyton Reed has been directing all of these Ant-Man movies. There is a singular hand behind this. Something that struck me so hard, and it's weird that this is the character that triggers it, because I think he, the breakout, like, ha-ha character in this movie is MODOK, unquestionably. Oh, sure, sure, yeah, everybody. I, I, Corey Stoll is just now doing press. Yeah, they sort of let it slide, and and there's a lot of people talking about like uh, scene stealer Corey Stoll, you know. But the shot we get of Cassie reacting to Modok and suddenly getting those flashbacks to Ant Man, one of no, this is also the guy that invaded her childhood home and maybe caused the root of whatever trauma she's going still processing. I like that word of this monster that came out of her closet. Well, it, it leads to this whole thing that I like about, and it's a one line in Endgame that made that that has actually splintered a lot to me. Uh, and it's uh, Don Cheadle when he says, "Hey, hey, we're all about that superhero life," and it's sort of mm -hmm. like, "Yeah, what is this superhero life?" And the tendrils, it it sort of splinters out. And and there's a moment in this when when he says, "Can't you, I just want you to have a normal light, Cassie?" And she says, "Dad, a guy dressed as a bee came into my room when I was six and tried to murder me." My life is never going to be normal. And it, it it's both small and big, like you're talking about, because of the events, these massive events that are affecting people on large and small scales. This is a fundamentally different world. The Marvel yeah. Universe is different than our universe because it is radically changed. Uh, you know, seemingly up to a point, things were normal, basically, right? Now, Iron Man kind yeah. of turning point. Little things, World War II, stuff in the shadows, but like... From Iron Man on, the world is forever changed. This, this I think it, it's the Avengers, right? The Avengers is when the portal opens up in the sky and suddenly the world is different because aliens invaded New York. And it's getting to something you and I have talked about a lot, which we've always liked about the Marvel Universe, which is just people live here. Like there yeah. are just people who live here and you're trying to get to work and you're like, uh, well, you know, 8th Avenue, 8th Avenue is closed because Spider-Man is thrown down with a rhino, you know? 
<laughs> Mole Man came out of uh, Times Square today, and so traffic is totally fucked in That's, Manhattan. There's that kind of thing, right? That it just is sort of like, and they're doing more and more of that. I think the blip was one of the big ones because obviously that was mass trauma for the world. Yeah, uh, and so it's it's it's. I I feel like the world is getting bigger, deeper, more real to me all the yeah. time. So this idea that it's all just like blah, blah, whatever, like it's all. The same, same thing. Also, just I just don't know how you can look at the all the creativity and artistry that went into this movie and go, yeah, yeah, same old shit. I'm right. sorry. Like, how do how, how do you see the plethora of characters we got in the quantum realm, and who knows how many hours went into the, oh, the design and the animation of each of those little dudes? All the cool, like, uh, uh, biological functions of the ships and stuff like that. Everything. Mm -hmm. I love the thing about, like, your buildings are alive. Oh, my God, are yours dead? <laughs> really made me laugh. And, like, there's that kind of stuff where you're going, like, it's all the thought, man, the creativity. And it bums me out then when people just go, like, oh, soulless corporate bullshit. It really William Jackson him. Harper was a standout here, oh, like the psychic hard. guy. Loved him. Yeah. Uh, number one, that guy. That guy's a star, man. That guy's amazing. Oh. We love him. Um, uh, uh, if you haven't, if people haven't seen the resort on Peacock, holy shit, such a cool sci-fi show. Uh, we talked a, a, a couple years back about the movie Palm Springs. The guy mm -hmm. who made that made this show, the resort, very similar, like character drama with some sci-fi coloring to it. Um, really good. I even liked uh, Caddy M. O'Brien as uh, Gentora. Kind of, the... she was great. The rebel leader in this, she was definitely like a Jarella stand-in. Sure, um, but, but she she, I, she did yeah. a lot to ground the the idea that people live here, right? It's like mm -mm. we lost everything, man. Like Kang's no fucking joke to us, all right? We live under tyranny, and right. yeah. you just popped in here all of a sudden and go, "Oh, we got to stop this guy." It's like we've been trying, man. Like mm -hmm. you know, she's she's a, she's hardened by this world, so. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I, we, we're big fans of Ant-Man Quantumania. I think, you I know, know. It, it's always one of those things. Like we see all these negative reviews and it's just like, are we the insane ones or are they the ones who have this like strange, like you say, is it trendy to hate on these movies? And is that like, obviously they're not saying like, well, I know it's cool to hate on these movies. So that's why I'm, no, 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 no. They, they have their own genuine opinions. So it's just weird to parse that with so our it, own fandom. It kind of goes into this anti-corporate thing and I get it, man. I'm as left wing corporate bullshit guy too. But like, I, I don't, here's the thing. Disney pays for these movies and they, yeah, they're a giant conglomeration and I'm not crazy about the way they do business, but People like Kevin Feige, people like Peyton Reed, people like these actors are doing this out of love. I, I, yeah. I never get the feeling... And huge paychecks. <laughs> well, and huge paychecks, but it's like, uh, I don't think a Kevin Feige puts this amount of work and effort into this. This is clearly made by a guy, and, I, and I'm using that, like, I understand lots of people work on this, but, like, if he's the, the connective glue between all these movies, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm not seeing soulless. Say what you will, yeah. but what I am seeing is immense love for this thing that we love as well and have spent our lives loving. And these are movies clearly made by people. I mean, Peyton Reed, there's a, there's a great thing about when he, uh, 
uh, the, when he when he made the first movie, it came out about a, a a poster he had drawn for his like college band, and he had drawn it to look like the cover of the Avengers, and he actually drew himself as Ant Man. And people talk about like he goes like, so I've been, and he was trying to do Fantastic Four back in the day when it was at Fox. He goes, yeah. this is my whole life, man, of these comics. So. I don't, and I think that's a big thing with Thor: The Dark World. When we talk about that, that came from a guy who goes, "I fucking hated working there. I thought that shit was stupid." And you know, and you go like, "Yeah, man, it kind of shows in your movie, <laughs> right?" But you then you see like the Russo brothers doing their thing on Infinity War and Endgame, James and it's Gunn, such a triumph. Ica, James Gunn, yeah, 100%. all the, these are these are people who whether whether or not you are vibing with that particular filmmaker and their star, storytelling style, mm -hmm. that's a matter of personal choice. That's this, fine. Once again, it's sincerity. It's love. It, these are movies made from passion, not from like, yeah, got to churn more of this shit out. If you watch the original Suicide Squad movie, that seems like an exercise in brand management. Totally. You watch James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, and that is a movie made by a guy who loves what he's doing and is going to twist it with his own sensibilities. And that's the big thing about James Gunn at DC, and I'll leave it at this, which is a lot of people are going like, oh no, James Gunn at DC. I'm like, I have no doubt James Gunn will make awesome DC movies. The question is, will Warner Brothers let him? My, my concern yeah. is about Warner Brothers, not about James Gunn. I know James Gunn lives and breathes this shit because every time that guy talks i'm like oh he's he's he sounds like me uh <laughs> and he, he lives for this man but it is sort of a thing about will that corporate will zaslov i'll call him out uh yeah. let him do all the stuff he wants to do will he let him make multiple suicide squads in the, and i don't mean movies exactly like that but movies with that sort of earnest love for the craziest parts of this universe i mean the fact he's doing creature right. commandos is uh i'm sorry the minute they announced the authority i was like okay i guess we're doing this if we're gonna lean into that if we're going straight into the wild storm then yeah, let's do man. it <laughs> i love the authority so i can't wait for that um all right well so that those are our opinions about ant-man and the wasp and some other stuff going on in pop culture this week we'll be back next week with a new may the panel be with you continuing the next arc of uh han solo and his magnificent seven or that's kind of what it is. Oh, I mean, it's a lot of things, but yes, we we are be we are beyond the movies. We are beyond the galaxy. We are now in the new era of let's make a Star Wars story. But the only thing we have to reference is the first movie. And next month we'll be talking about two movies for our March episode. Uh, before mentioned, John Wick Chapter Four and a little movie called Dungeons and Dragons: Honor Among Thieves. You don't say, John. Something you might have opinions about, but. I might have opinions. Uh, but so uh, make sure you like and subscribe on whatever podcasting software you're using. Uh, uh, like, subscribe, hit that bell for notifications. Uh, let us know in the comments below your thoughts on Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania uh, or any of the trailers we talked about. We'd love to hear what you guys are thinking. Or if you have recommendations about stuff we should check out in the coming months so that we might talk about it in the future, leave it in the comments below. Absolutely. Uh, but that is going to do... Of course, you go to our patron page also, which the link is below. Uh... But, uh, give money. We were give content. It good trade. There's more. <laughs> oh, we speak real good. Uh, but that's going <laughs> to do it for uh, this month's panel up episode. I'm John Campbell. And I will always be Mike Gergoni. Till next month, we're going to panel down. All right. I have.